Well, you guys look great. Yeah, you are great. You already knew that, didn't you? Yeah. And uh, this is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad in it. I was thinking back probably 35 years. I was in seminary at ORU, and in one of our classes, one of the profs asked, hey guys, uh, let's talk a little bit about a dream for your life and what you might do. And uh, I remember one uh, farmer boy from Iowa said, I'd love to go back to my home church and pastor that church for the rest of my life. We thought that was a fantastic dream. And I remember uh, saying something like this. This won't be verbatim, but the thought is here. I would love to be a part of a church that has a great missions vision. And perhaps the Lord would allow me to have some, some kind of a role in that church. And also that I might have the privilege and opportunity to go from that church uh, to the unreached peoples of the world. And uh, you have been that church you are that church, and I could never, ever thank you enough. You have exampled the way of Jesus for Ruthie and I for four decades. You've loved our family. You've prayed for us, and you have made it possible for that dream to come true for, for our family and for me to continue to go to those unique places where uh, Oral Roberts said, where his voice is heard small and his light is dim. And that light is starting to shine brighter uh, in those places. So thank you. I especially want to honor the veteran missionaries that are here, Millard and Shirley Parish. Uh, gave uh, the best parts of their lives, and they're still doing that in Africa. Uh, Warren and Shirley Norcom. Warren, where are you? Uh, decades in Argentina, uh, the uh, uh, Chupacs uh, in the 1040 window. Those are tough places, and thank you for going, and thank you for continuing to pray for that part of the world. And many others, uh, I won't name the whole long list because it is long. In fact, we have sent missionaries uh, uh, to, oh, we have sent 47 missionaries from TCF over the past 52 years to the nations of the world. I mean, that's, that's an amazing, amazing number. It makes me think of the Moravians, uh, Count von uh, Zinzendorf, in uh, right around 1700. He was moved by the Holy Spirit powerfully uh, to raise up a church that was filled with the Holy Spirit, and their only purpose was to live their lives for Christ. They took the uh, Sermon on the Mount as their document that they lived by. And uh, they sent missionaries and were the first, really, to send large numbers. From a congregation of 600, they sent 70 missionaries to the nations of the world. And by the time Zinzendorf, at the age of around 60, uh, went on to be with the Lord, he was a noble man, but he laid down all of that to be a missionary and to encourage missions. Uh, they had sent 229 to the nations of the world. And uh, I'm just thrilled about what God has done here. And he's not finished with us yet, and he's continuing to do that. Thank you, all of you. Thank you uh, for praying, for giving, for going. And Father, now I just pray, as has already been prayed, that you would bless the remainder of this service. Help us to hear what you would uh, say and uh, help us quickly to forget anything that Joel would add that is not pertinent in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to, so, to have us watch a video uh, right now. I um, want to thank Bill for all the tech support. I want to thank the sound booth for making this happen. And... Uh, Whoops. Go back. See, that's why I need help here. And now... So...
Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go So we're going to watch a video that gives us a state of the world quick picture. And uh, I think it's always important to be inspired, but also recognize the realities of how immense the task still remains. So that's what this video is going to be about. Uh, and uh, thank you, gentlemen, for working on that. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population world C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into world C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that 700 billion given to all Christian causes, only 45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, Annually, Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 
Two billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? I've watched that video probably five, six, seven times over the past couple of weeks and continue to be incredibly challenged by it. I don't want us this morning to miss the immensity of the task that still remains. I'd like in the next couple of minutes also to suggest how the task might be completed. And if there's time, I'd like to perhaps give you a couple of examples of how the gospel is advancing in countries where world compassion is privileged to be working in uh, some of the difficult to access nations of the world. But let's just review one more time what we just saw on the screen. You might want to actually watch the video yourself several times this week during this uh, missions week. World C is the world that identifies as Christian. Not every person is Christian, but they are understanding that, hey, everybody's Christians, I guess I'm a Christian too. So it's not all born-again Christians, but they identify as Christians. They get 72% of all the missionaries, that 400, probably now 430,000 actually is the real number, uh, 72% of all the missionaries and 87% of all missions giving goes to World Sea, where there are churches, Bibles, uh, just a vibrant church already. World B is... 38% of the world population, they have heard the good news, but so far have rejected the gospel. They are what we might call exposed unbelievers. 25% of the missions force and 12% of missions funding goes to world B. And then the most uh, unbelievable Statistic, I think, is world A, 28% of the world population, 3% of missionaries, 1% of missions giving. This group has never had a chance to hear the gospel. A little more than one in four people in the world have yet to hear the name of Jesus or how they can become a part of God's wonderful family. At the end of the service, I want to mention that a significant number of our missionaries are going to World B and uh, even, uh, even touching World A. For instance, the Yazidis are a completely unreached people group, and we just heard about Ray and Denise and how they are touching that precious group of people. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We can be sure that this will happen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, including world A that we've just identified. Of the 17,400 people groups in the world today, this, this is Joshua Project uh, statistics, 17,400 people groups, in other words, different unique ethnic groups, 7,400 groups are still considered unreached. I'm sure I don't have to convince you that there is a great imbalance here that we have to seriously look at. Let's quickly look at the largest unreached people groups. The Sheikh of Bangladesh, 135.2 million 
zero percent adherents of Christ. They practice both Sunni and Shia Islam. This will surprise you. The Japanese of Japan are considered one of the largest unreached people groups in the world, 120.9 million. 1.2% are Christian adherents, 70% Buddhist, 12% Shintoist. And we get faithful letters from John and Yuri. We need to continue to pray for them and the few Christians that are there that that unreached people group can be reached. The Shaikh of India, 85.4 million, 0% Christians. They practice Islam. We just heard about Turkey, the Turks of Turkey, 84.3 million, 97% Muslim, 0.1, one-tenth, or no, one-hundredth of one percent Christians in Turkey. We think of it as a modern country, and it's entirely unreached. The Brahmin, we've heard of the Brahmin of India, 58.8 million 100% Hindu, zero Christians in that group. Jesus told the uh, parable of the lost sheep. And you remember, he leaves the 99 behind and uses all of his resources to save that one that was lost. And yet, at least according to these statistics, somehow we have an imbalance, a great imbalance. Over 90% of all missionaries work among already reached people. For every dollar of Christian resources, less, I can't hardly say this, less than one penny is directed to reaching the unreached peoples. Oswald J. Smith of the famous People's Church. As a boy, I had a chance to go to their missions conferences a number of times. I was a little boy. I loved going there. It was very casual. I remember the hot dogs. They were great. And uh, just a, a great, great missions atmosphere in the church. And I remember Oswald J. Smith wrote many missions books, but one of his most famous uh, statements is, No man has the right to hear the gospel twice until every man has heard it once. And then he said, if you cannot go yourself, you must send a substitute. And I'm, I'm so thrilled here at TCF that there's three things that we can do. We can pray, we can give, and we can go. And I know that so many of us do the first two things and many of us have also gone to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's going to happen. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is no plan B. This is the plan. These are the instructions from our commanding general. Andrew Murray uh, wrote a book uh, called The Missionary Problem. I've just devoured the book. Probably 100 years old, this book is. Uh, he reports on the missionary conference in 1900 in London, and then he comments on the passage I just read. There is no greater spiritual and mysterious truth than that Christ our head is actually and entirely dependent upon the members of his body for carrying out the plans which he, as head, has formed. And then he goes on, this union with the Lord Jesus to participate in his saving work to such an extent that without us he cannot do it, that through us he will and can accomplish it in divine power is a deep 
spiritual mystery. It is an honor altogether too great for us to understand. It is fellowship and union and partnership so intimate and divine that the Holy Spirit only must reveal it to us. Why the great imbalance? Just let me share a couple of thoughts. These aren't original to me, but uh, uh, this is, uh, I think, part of the reason. The low-hanging fruit has been picked. And uh, we have to seriously look at the 1040 window. We've heard of the 1040 window at TCF for decades. Lewis Bush in 1990 coined the phrase, and if you are real young and you haven't heard it before, let me mention it. I'm, I've got Solomon and Elsa here, our grandkids. They, they haven't maybe heard this phrase before. The 1040 window is 97% of the world's unreached people. It is located in the area that spans West Africa, across Asia between 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north. Roughly two-thirds of the world population uh, live there, and it is predominantly Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, animist, Jewish, or atheist. The majority of the unreached are located in some of the hardest and darkest places on the earth including nations that are entirely closed to the gospel. And we've seen the top 50 nations. Those would be the typical nations that simply would not allow the gospel to be presented. You can get there, but you may not be able to get out if, if you get my drift on that. But some people, in fact, I think every nation is penetrable uh, through different means. To go to these places will require great sacrifice and radical devotion to our Lord Jesus. Over 76,000 people die every day in the unreached world without Jesus. 91% of all Christian outreach and evangelism does not target non-Christians, but it targets other Christians. Despite the command Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations, 67% of all people from AD 30 to today, did you hear that? AD 30 to today have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. In the last 40 years, over 1 billion people have died who have never heard of Jesus. And around 30 million this year will enter eternity without ever hearing the gospel. These are Statistics from uh, Bethany Global University in Minneapolis, a missions-sending uh, uh, university. And uh, just wanted you to have that information. But I also want to say, and I'm very excited to say, that there, there's also great news, good news, in 1900, there were 10 million, Millard and Shirley, 10 million Christians in all of Africa. Now there are 631 million. Thanks be to Jesus. Africa must be saved and it's happening. This is the largest shift in religious affiliation in the history of the world. This... <coughs> The greatest contribution of mobilization efforts over the last 40 years has been the flourishing mission movement in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. These mission fields have now become sending bases. Amen. And are providing, hear this, fresh zeal, new pools of missionary recruits, and in many cases, supernatural power. Mission Frontiers reports uh, on these details. You might have heard of this, but some of the most dynamic churches in London are, re are led by Nigerian pastors. There are 25,000 uh, 
I was going to say 25, not 25,000, 25 large African churches in Houston. There's a huge church in Kiev led by an African brother. About 50,000 attend that church. So uh, Africans are part of that great force that is going to the ends of the earth. Uh, there's a great army coming out of Latin America. And we know that Dan and Mary Lou are mobilizing the Latins to reach the unreached, that is a great and wonderful comfort. Also, Asia, uh, uh, I'm thinking especially of uh, Korea, South Korea and the Philippines are great missionary-sending nations. I remember being in um, Abu Dhabi, uh, no, I should say Dubai. Uh, it's a, a city that has massive numbers of beautiful, beautiful uh, shopping centers. I was in, in one of them and saw a Filipino brother. Uh, I knew he was a brother. I said, hey, you're here as a missionary, aren't you? He said, yes, I am. You know, so <laughs> it was just so cool to see him. But he was from the Philippines. But they have a great vision to send uh, missionaries to the unreached United Arab Emirates, totally an unreached area. I remember being uh, with General Sada uh, in uh, northern Iraq and uh, meeting... Uh, a powerfully saved South Korean general who had brought a huge unit. They were covering a certain part of northern Iraq. This was during the operations just after uh, 2003. And he basically explained that we're here as missionaries. You know, this is our army, you know. And, uh, and so not every one of those men were, but, but again, they have this great vision. So uh, there is reason to be excited, to be thrilled, and to continue to pray continually that the Lord of the harvest will send harvesters because the fields are ripe and the lost are lost and they are dying every day. The church, as, as we know, has had incredible growth in China over the past 50 to 70 years. In fact, from about 1950 to 1970, there was almost no contact with that church. It was a few million uh, at that time, and uh, now there's more, and we've had missionaries in China, uh, but we, we believe that that number is now probably well over 100 million believers, and someday, probably soon, there'll be more people in church in China on a Sunday than in the United States. Uh, so... Uh, an amazing thing happening there. There's great news also from Iran, and World Compassion has had the great privilege of working there. And let me just share a couple of thoughts about what is happening there. There's been a lot of reports over the last few years of just dynamic growth in Iran, uh, and yet uh, the secular people were saying, hey, those are just evangelistic numbers. It's not... It's not really happening like you think it is. So there was a uh, survey done by a secular, uh, very respected Dutch uh, polling agency about, it, about two years ago, and they surveyed 90,000 Iranians. I think about, uh, or maybe it was 50,000 and 90% of them, that's what it was, 90% of them were inside Iran. And they asked about 25, 26 questions about their religious affiliation, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, the answers were just amazing. Uh, the, a regime in Iran says, we are 95% Shia, but in the survey, Iranians identified themselves as only 32% said they were Shia. 46.8% said they have moved uh, from being religious to non-religious. 22% said we've become nuns. We, we don't believe any of that stuff. 8.8% said we are atheists. And Muhammad Alabi, the Iran's minister of intelligence at a recent conference, said these converts are ordinary people whose jobs are selling sandwiches and similar things. It's happening right in front of our eyes. Uh, ordinary Iranians who have formed the regime's hardcore support for the past 40 years are, are, are just disappearing. We're losing that support. Uh, 
and uh, Christians now 1.5% of the 83 million that live in Iran. The church in Iran has per capita the fastest growth of any church in the world, 19.7% annually. And uh, again, it's happening as the Minister of Information says, right in front of our eyes, these people that sell sandwiches, they're, they're getting converted. We can't do a thing about it. So it's, it's just amazing. We've been, we've been thrilled to be moving Bibles into Iran for the past decade. Last year, God helped us to move in just under 50,000. And I can't tell you how we move them in, but you can just imagine how they go in. And so... Uh, uh, we have just wonderful reports coming back continually of how they are being distributed. Just about two years ago, there was a lady in Tehran who said her ministry is riding in taxi cabs every day. She brings a, a supply of Bibles, and when she meets people, she just gives them a Bible. And so one time she gave a Bible to a taxi cab driver. He seemed to be having a really tough day. And he was kind of talking about how his marriage is falling apart. And she said, well, you need to read this book. And so I think the taxi cab driver, I get, you know, with so, so many stories, but I think this is the way this story goes. He stopped, and for like 30, 40, maybe two hours, I don't know, he read the Bible. And uh, he's miraculously convert, com- converted, shares it with his wife. She becomes a believer. And then uh, the taxi driver thinks, hey, I should do the same thing that that lady was doing. So she carry, he carries Bibles in his cab, and just a few weeks, uh, maybe a month or so later, there's a doctor and, and, and his wife, who is a nurse, uh, who is uh, uh, one of the top nurses in another hospital, but they're having this unbelievable spat. I mean, it looks like their marriage is done. And the cab driver said, hey, guys, hey, let me talk to you for a while. Hey, I was just like you guys. But there was this lady who came in my cab and gave me a Bible, and my life has been transformed. My, my wife and I, we, we are just, just in love with each other. And, and so they said, okay, well, give us the Bible. And so, so, so he gives, I think, each of them a Bible. And just fast forward just a couple of weeks, both of them come totally to know Christ in a personal way. And they... The, the doctor is like a top doctor in his hospital. This is at the beginning of COVID, so about two years ago. Just unbelievable difficult situations. And uh, he starts sharing the, the gospel in the hospital, praying for people. In about uh, two or three weeks, he uh, and his wife, she's in, a, in another hospital doing the same. They've, they've won about 27 doctors and professionals to Christ. And... Uh, but I want you to hear the rest of the story. I heard just some months ago that they had to go on trial for uh, uh, you know, illegal activities, whatever the Trump charges were. But they've been banished in, in two separate prisons, so you might pray for them, in s- southern Iran, in, in one of the most just nondescript, horrible places you could ever be. But they're the warriors that are on the front lines that are continuing to go to carry the gospel. Pastor Rampton, he was on a video call with our office just uh, a week or two ago. He said, you know, I'm so thankful that you're not here in our country as missionaries. And then he explained. He said, before 1970, under the Shah, we had Western missionaries in Iran and... uh, they were accused, and you'll understand this term, they were accused of making rice Christians. They, they preached the gospel, but others criticized, well, you guys you give them some food and help them with things, and who wouldn't want to be a Christian uh, if, if you, know, you get all these nice benefits? But he said, uh, now none of that happens. It's only Christ that can help us in this unbelievable situation and the growth you're already hearing about. It is happening day after day after day. He explained that he was born uh, in a first 
generation Christian family. In other words, his father was the first in their family. He, he became a pastor, and uh, 40 years ago, they would have 10 or 12 people that would come for services, and uh, they would pray, and in a year, maybe one or two people would come to Christ, and, uh, and then they would rejoice how great that was, and it was great. And uh, they would try to pass out Bibles, and most people, many people would not take Bibles. They just weren't interested. He said, now I have passed out thousands of Bibles. No one, no one ever refuses to take a Bible. We work with a ministry out of England, Elam Ministries, and they basically just, uh, just I think so well said, when you give a Bible, you put yourself in the posture of evangelism. And this is happening uh, quietly. There's, there's no street meetings, no big meetings. A typical Christian gathering in Iran is five or six people. And they were explaining to him as how they, they do the distribution often. There are large families. They'll get together for a family meal. And what you might guess happens, you talk about your troubles, you talk about how difficult it is, you talk about how bad the government is, all these kinds of things. And then the Christian in the group says, you know, that's true, and that's how I felt for so long. But you know what? My life's been changed, and I've got a book to pass on to you guys. And so Bibles are passed in small groups, and they're never refused. And the growth continues 19.7% a year. Well, I'm going to be out of time here before I know it. So let's just... Uh, Remember the Moravians this morning, how they uh, saw it as the automatic outflow and overflow of their love for Christ. That is what they lived for. That is what they died for. And I uh, want to read a statement from the uh, Student Missionary Conference in London, you love the date on this, 1900, in a report, uh, they put this in their official report, the possibilities of personal work. The statement followed, if there were only one Christian in the world and he worked and prayed a year to win one friend to Christ, and if these two then continued each year to win one more, and if every person thus led into the kingdom, led another to Christ every year, in 31 years, every person in the world would be one for Christ. The mathematical progression showed that at the end of the 31 years, there would be over 2 billion Christians. And uh, their motto, and it needs to be our motto, every believer a soul winner. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could say at the end of this year, we won at least one. Maybe we'll won ten. But let's, let's take this on as our personal responsibility. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Again, Andrew Murray, this union with the Lord Jesus to participate in his saving work to such an extent that without us he cannot do it, that through us he will and can accomplish it in divine power, is a deep spiritual mystery. It is an honor altogether too great for us to understand it is a fellowship and union and partnership so intimate and divine that the Holy Spirit must reveal it to us. Each one a soul winner. Twenty one October eighteen oh five was uh, the date of one of the great naval battles in history. Admiral Horatio Lord Nelson uh, led the British. Uh, they had 27 ships. 
and he, this was during the Napoleonic Wars. The French and the Spanish fleet were 33 ships led by Admiral Villeneuve, and uh, it was a, a critical moment. Uh, Nelson was the great naval hero in Britain, and uh, as they're getting ready for the battle, the, uh, the line of the uh, French and Spanish were going north along the Atlantic at Cape Trafalgar, that is off of the coast of Spain, where the British were coming in from the west. And so they, they had a look at the entire line of 33 ships. And uh, Nelson says to his mate, I want you to signal this message to our ships. They didn't have Zoom calls. They didn't have SMS. But they signaled with, with signals on their flags. And the message was, England expects every man will do his duty. And I was reading the details of that message. Uh, and apparently it, was, it, was hap it happened quite spontaneously. And actually, Nelson wanted to uh, say it more personally, but they already had the wording in place to put England. But he, his, his wish was to say, Nelson expects, no, Nelson is confident that every man will do his duty. And I'd like to apply that to us. I believe that the Lord Jesus is confident that we will do our duty. Uh, Nelson went up against great odds. He was outnumbered, but he told his fleet to attack right into the heart of the enemy. It was a pell-mell battle. Five hours it was done. The Spanish and the French lost 19 or 20 ships that were surrendered to the British. And the British ruled the seas for the next 100 years. And as the battle is waging, Nelson is shot by a French sniper He's on the deck watching the battle. He goes down, and uh, his surgeon and all the closest men are around him. And he's purported to have said, just before he passed, thank God I did my duty. And so that's the call. That's the call for all of us. Every believer, a soul winner, that does not mean, among other things, but first of all, as the chief reason of his existence. We all agree in saying that the one and supreme end of the church is to bring the world to Christ. I'm not going to say anything about Afghanistan except to say thank you so much for your gifts. We've been able to uh, evacuate 130. They're in uh, places outside of Afghanistan hoping to move to safer places. So do pray for them. And uh, many of you were so generous. But I do want to make this note, uh, and you already know this, Afghanistan has come to Tulsa. Did you know that? Dave Trotman, where are you, Dave? Dave is tutoring, I think, five families that just began this week. And we need to continue to pray that Dave will be blessed, Beth and others that will engage with these families, and that we maybe uh, have more opportunity uh, to minister to the Afghans as they now walk our streets, coming from the most dangerous nation uh, for the gospel in the world. And I want you to think about this one other thought. Did you know that 1,078,822 international students studied in the U.S., in the year 2016 to 17, I'm sure this is very similar to what it is today, about 62% of them came from countries in the 1040 window, that most difficult area to reach. 668,869 students uh, from the 1040 window and yet it's estimated that 90% of these students return to their home nations in the 1040 window without any contact 
with a Christian ministry or a Christian witness. So we uh, need to be like the men of Issachar to recognize the opportunity before us and uh, pray for those that have come to our doorstep. We are doing, I think, incredibly well as a church when we think of what we have been able to do over the past 50 odd years. Missionaries, uh, 47 cent, many to the uh, very difficult to access, even the entirely unreached, the Yazidi, the Japanese, uh, uh, our friends in Tajikistan, there's about 30 unreached people groups in that nation alone. Uh, so, but, but we're not to rest on our laurels. Remember, just a couple of years ago, uh, we had a missionary uh, evangelist from, I think, uh, Georgia. And he spoke this powerful message that, that you have excelled, but why don't we just excel even more because the, the, the need is so great. So I uh, know that we will. Uh, I'm confident that we will. I know we will pray continually. I know we will give as you have so generously done. And we are continuing to go to the nations. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You'll remember Jim Elliott. He is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'd like to uh, play... uh, a uh, song by Don Moen. Uh, it's called The Missionary Song, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by it. Who will go? Who will answer?
Father, help us to answer that we will go with our prayers, with our giving, and with our sending. We pray for the Afghans in Tulsa that come from the most dangerous country in the world to be a Christian. We don't think it's an accident that they are here. We believe you sent them. Help us, Lord, to reach out to them. Help us to reach out to the many other internationals that come to our city continually, particularly to study petroleum engineering. Help us, Lord, to hear what you would say of uh, anything else that might be something that we can do, particularly to reach World A, that 2.9 billion or so people that have never, ever heard the name of Jesus, seen a Bible, or even understood that they could come to a personal relationship with the God of the universe. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us, not only today, but throughout this week, and help us to even more excel in the work you've called us to, to send the greatest message the world has ever heard to the ends of the earth. Pray for our African brothers who are answering the call, our Asian brothers, particularly from the Philippines and South Korea, our Latin American brothers that are going to some of the most difficult places in the world. We pray you'll make a way for them. And uh, we uh, know, Lord, that you do open doors for those who will go. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.